Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. back for another milestone episode not too big a one episode 60 of plastic model mojo how are you doing tonight i'm doing good yourself i'm fine and the third chair tonight we have mr jim bates of scale canadian tv what he broke away from his various podcast engagements and youtube uh, appearances in order to be with us tonight yes i did and you guys are paying a whole lot for this honor <laughs> Well, it's good to have you here, Jeff. It's good to be here. Thank you guys for having me. You're you're a regular, even though you've had a, a couple of weeks sojourn there with the with the posse guys. But uh, we'll get to that because this, this is a episode about shows, past, present, and future. And uh, I know you've been to a couple, but we'll save that for a little later. Well, he not only has been to one, but he ran one too. So we'll, well get to hear from from both sides. That's true, and I intend to intend to do that. But before we get there, Dave. What's up in your model sphere, man? Well, my model sphere is is looking up. I've got the the mosquito in the rearview mirror. It's done, and that has been a burden off my shoulders, and that's kind of revitalized my mojo. Got projects cooking. I, I feel like modeling. I'm getting to model regularly, although it's the height of volleyball season, so my weekends are pretty much occupied uh with volleyball tournaments but i'm still i'm still managing to squeeze some time in and i've you know the 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 most important part is i feel good about it 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 feel it doesn't feel like work and and as we've talked about it before you don't want your hobby to feel like work well that sounds good jim what's up in your model sphere out on the west coast well, I've been traveling a little bit. We'll talk about that later. Um, my bigger problem is, as I think I've said before, a lot of my modeling is involving the cases at the Museum of Flight that we have to fill. And I uh, got stuck building what I'm calling the Trujillo bus, but it's a Ravel Airbus A310. And uh, I thought it was a kit from 2002. Scalemates tells me it's from 1984, and it is sapping my will to live. <laughs> well, more on that in the Benchtop Halftime Report. <laughs> can't, can't wait to hear it. I was going to say, if he makes it to the Benchtop Halftime Report, it sounds like his will is getting sapped pretty quickly. Mike, what's your model sphere like? Well, it was uh, egregiously interrupted Thursday evening with a, <laughs> a stomach bug. I'll tell you what, I'd rather somebody else be in, been sick besides me. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you sure she's not trying to poison you? She hasn't decided that the insurance money is worth it? Well, I'll, I'll give a little situation for the listeners to ponder. What happens when you're committed to getting the northbound train out of the station and the uh, the southbound train decides it's time to leave? <laughs> Two exits, no waiting. Yes. And it's the bullet train. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> Yeah, I talked to you the next day, and you it sounded like you had, had cracked a rib. I could barely talk. I mean, it was 
is the worst I've ever been physically ill like that ever. Well, but but enough about that, man. But it, anyway, it threw off my whole weekend. I get any modeling done. I didn't get too far on the outline for the show. It just seemed like uh, just trying to deep six everything. But I'm well now. The violence was over by the morning. And uh, then it, it was just a long recovery after that because I was totally wiped out, totally dehydrated, totally empty, starting from scratch. So no fun at all. Well, let's let's talk about refilling those innards. Uh, Jim, do you have some modeling fluid? Well, I'm going to admit I'm being very non-Kentucky. I've got some Woodford Reserve that I'm mixing with Coke Zero because I'm a lightweight. That's not a that is that is not a mortal sin. That's a venial sin. We, we, Woodford, you can you can make a highball, which is what soda or Coke and 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 bourbon. You can you can do that with Woodford. I I usually do it with something a little more bottom shelf, but you got to work with what you got. Exactly. Maybe that is his bottom shelf, Dave. There you go. Oh, in which case, uh, well, that's true. He's raking in the big bucks. That's so right. I'm big, sure big that, West Coast attorneys. Like, right. He he's not he's not getting that bourbon that comes in the plastic bottle. He's sitting on a couch made out of bundles of hundreds. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, one of my best friends drinks Woodford and like Coke Zero or something all the time. So it's all right, Jim. Mike, what's your modeling fluid? One of my local purveyors has managed to get a case or two of bullet so i'm back on the bullet wagon all right in the in the mic size bottle well something tells me the end of the episode where we go over how our modeling fluid was isn't going to be much of a surprise in your case no still highly recommended come uh, come by the suite in, at uh, omaha and we'll let you figure it out yourself there you go well good dave what about you I wish I could say I was having something tried and true, but uh, that's not the case. I'm having something that I I have no idea why I've done this, but I've seen it a few times. I was curious. There is a whiskey called Scatterbrain. It is a peanut butter whiskey. Now, it's not a bourbon. That's for sure. No, no white oak barrels, charred white oak barrels were involved in the making of this product. It's distributed by Universal Brands out of Minnesota. Not exactly the peanut capital of the Yeah, no, America. not really. But <laughs> let me let me have a taste here. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my oh Lord. I'm God. Oh, that's bad. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to be sipping this through the episode. Um, Mike, now I see why you had me on. You're going to need a replacement for Dave when he dies from his bad modeling fluid choice. Yeah, that's that may be the case. All I can imagine is is just about every day when I roll into the parking lot at work and open the door because the Jif Peanut Butter Factory is like 100 yards from our parking lot. Yep. I know and where the, it is. And the roasters are on. 24 7 so it smells like roast peanuts outside our work almost all the time i can tell you now they did not skimp on the peanut flavor value for your money there thank you oh boy let's move on to listener mail before i oh you're sick as i was last that's right Go, go on please all right well listener mail again does not disappoint we've got quite a bit not an exorbitant amount but just enough all right, guys. Well, Jim will like this one too. First up is Vince Knoll from Kansas City. He doesn't say Kansas or Missouri, but 
they're pretty close together. They are indeed. <laughs> uh, he wants to thank you for clarifying the origins of one of his favorite beer mugs. Which is? Uh, he sent us a picture, and it has the beaver on it from uh, IPMS Canada. Oh, okay. Nice. The sweating beaver. Royal Canadian Beer Blast, 1979, IPMS Canada. I didn't know they made beer glasses or beer mugs for the Royal Canadian Beer Blast. God, I'd love to have one of those. Well, <laughs> he goes on to say, one, he's not Canadian. And two, he was six years old in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in Canada, that is drinking age. Right, right. Uh, he's had this mug for a couple of years, but always kind of wondered what it was all about. So, so now he knows. Well, that that's it. And he finishes by saying, if we're trying to drink the Aussies under the table, uh, he's on the U.S. varsity team. So uh, that's not going to be on the docket. Yeah, no, no, no. We are we are not going to attempt to drink Canadians under the table. Or Australians. Or, I mean, Australians. Either one. Either one. I don't know if I've told you guys this story before or not, but I was at the Chino Air Show, and this is two, three, four years ago, with a couple modeler aviation enthusiast friends from uh, Halifax, and um, and a friend from Vancouver who's not a modeler, just an aviation guy. And my friend from Vancouver and I, we go back to the hotel and we get a message from the Canadians. We're meeting for dinner at, you know, seven o'clock at whatever restaurant. And they're like, we've already had six beer. And I'm like, six beer? We just left the airfield 10 minutes ago, you know? <laughs> uh, up next is a quick one from uh, Richard Forzon. He just apologizes for not letting us know where he's from. And we do appreciate folks letting us know where they're from. And uh, Richard is, in fact, from El Paso, Texas. Oh, right along the border. I don't know if it's there anymore, but there used to be a very cool um, hobby shop in El Paso called Hal's. Hal's Hobbies or Hal's Model Shop or something. I wonder if it's still there. Somebody will let us know. Maybe he will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, our good buddy Steve Lee. Spruit pie with frets. Tuned into our uh, stuff on the bench discussion. And uh, he likes uh, tattoo ink cups and pipettes like a lot of people do. But he says, Dave, that maybe you may be a librarian who builds models. Uh-huh. Or actually, he says, Dave, you're a librarian and model builder drag. <laughs> there you go. Well, my wife, style. my wife puts it a little more nicely, but yeah, the sentiment's actually the same. Uh, he is a toothpick enthusiast who occasionally builds models, <laughs> and he would emphasize that all types of toothpicks are on his bench: flat, round, fancy, fancy Asian toothpicks, round on one end, pointy on the other, and then the knurled in the middle ones. Yep, hard, hard to find, but worth it. Yep, I agree with him. And their hulking cousin, the bamboo skewer. All good modeling tools. All good modeling tools. And I tell you, one of the big tips he gives is sharpening one to a chisel tip and you just scrape paint off stuff. Yes, particularly cleaning up uh, if you've had paint creep under a mask on an aircraft canopy. A chisel tip toothpick dipped in a little bit of water is really the best way to remove paint from a canopy like that without scratching the canopy. Jim, do you use toothpicks or you just walk around with one in your mouth all the time? I use toothpicks, but I got to tell you the most ridiculous modeling uh, product I've ever seen was the brass toothpicks from MIG Ammo. But I was educated by the posse that they are awesome. And I think it's just a way to part you from your money because I'm pretty sure the wooden ones are good too. 
JB gets them for free from Mig Ammo, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. JB and TJ get them for free. So of course, they love them. Right. They're paying them in, in brass toothpicks. But I'm not really interested until they do the gold toothpicks, and then I'll be all in. Because, you know, if I can show my wealth through modeling. Hey, it's it's platinum or nothing, man. <laughs> Uh, next is from Whitey from over at Model Geeks podcast. All Again, right. Well, he, he wrote in about our, uh, what was it? Oh, the, whether you sit around and build ordinance when you're not doing right. anything else kind of, kind of deal. Right. Yep. Uh, just to follow up, he, he's looking forward to the big shindig in Omaha and thankful they're at the, uh, the host hotel this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They weren't in Vegas, were they? You know, he says he blames Frildo for that. So Frildo. <laughs> How's the view under the bus? <laughs> and I've got my uh, grip strength exerciser I'm using every day, so I'll be ready for your handshake this year. That's right. About broke my hand. I know. I'm telling you. Oh, here's a timely one, given that we're going to talk a little bit about shows tonight. Uh, Michael Poland from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, the doctor who came up. We went out and had a couple beers while his family was in town visiting for, I can't remember what the occasion was, but uh, the uh, Knoxville chapter. IPMS, Knoxville Scale Modelers, their show is Saturday, May 21st. And now they're on a Saturday date, which they've secured through IPMS. Well, good. Good call for them. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'd like to go to that one. When is the date again? The 21st of May. Let's see. I've got a mediation on the 20th. That's a Friday. I'll be in Lexington, as a matter of fact. Well, if this pans out, maybe you just flop on the couch and we just leave the next morning. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's you know, in the words of Hannibal Smith, I love it when a plan comes together. That may, that one might work because I love Knoxville. Knoxville's a great place. Well, I've not been to a show there in a while. So, Dr. Poland, thanks for the heads up. And uh, maybe we'll see you on the 21st because that's two weeks and change after Derby. So, that's not yeah. going to interfere. Yep. Well, that's why my mediation is scheduled the 20th, because <laughs> there's nobody mediating before Derby. David Farrell from uh, Harwell, Oxfordshire in the UK. All right. He is back into modeling after a 43-year break. Welcome back. And mainly because uh, he opened a box in his loft that's followed him around since he was 16 years old. Okay. Throw all of those kits away and buy new ones, because they're much, much better now. Well, uh, I'll give you guys one guess as to what that box is mostly filled with, given that he's in the UK and he, he packed these away when he was 16. <laughs> There's no question they're Airfix kits. In fact, there are probably some that are bag kits and some that are the bubble kits. Probably. Jim, was uh, Airfix big in Canada when you were a kid? You know, yes and um, no. What I remember really buying a lot of was Matchbox. And I still have a problem that every time I go to a show and I see Matchbox kits, I want to rescue them and bring them home. I know the first kit I built was an Airfix, but I remember more MPC boxings of Airfix kits than true Airfix kits. Yeah, same here. Though Oh, I remember the the MPC three scheme boxes. Oh, the Profile Series? Yeah, the Profile Series. Man, those things, those were like catnip. Yeah, the one, the Sabre I built, the first kit I built with an, was an F-86 Sabre dog. And it was the MPC boxing with the sprue of little dudes. Oh, that was the Air Combat series. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what series it was. I just yeah. remember it came with little dudes. And there, there's not many kits in that line. Yeah, and I probably built most of them. And then I remember a few years later, 
going to the U.S. when MPC had the golden opportunity kits where you could save up all the things and get a free kit. Yeah. And I was so hoping for a uh, Hornet and they sent me a Tornado, which was not at all disappointing, other than it's a 1980 Airfix kit. Actually, to this day, I've never seen the Airfix Hornet in the flesh. And I'm afraid at this point to buy one because I'm sure it's not impressive. Well, it's an interesting comment because I, I was really big into the HOOO figures when I was young teen and preteen. And there was a set. I think there's two sets at MPC box that I've never seen in Airfix boxes ever. And those were uh, like modern U.S. infantry and, and Russian infantry, like Cold War stuff. I've never seen those in Airfix. Maybe I don't know if MPC tooled them themselves or or what, but uh, only in uh, Golden Opportunity boxes. We'll have to look that up on Scalemates. And see, that's the great thing about Scalemates. So you can go and see the history of a lot of kits. Well, he's cutting his teeth on a unbuilt Churchill kit, Airfix Churchill he found in the box. So, man, welcome back to the hobby. That's a good way to come back. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there, as far as that goes, the Airfix Churchill, yes, it's old, but that's that's a buildable kit. He's also had good luck with his uh, 40-some-year-old paints and decals. So, <laughs> Well, that goes to to show what we were talking about the episode or two back, that if, if a paint has not been opened, if a paint bottle has not been opened, they are amazingly long-lived, particularly enamels. I'm not convinced that the Humbrol from 40 years ago isn't better than the Humbrol you buy today. Maybe. If you need any colors, throw them by me because I've got a bunch, a whole bunch, like probably 200, 300 tens. Oh, wow. Long story. Next is uh, Jason Brash from Australia, and he sent me a lengthy email. Well, he's from Perth, which is in Western Australia, and it, He's also a military collector, so he sent me some pictures of that. I'm going to have to talk to him offline about that. He's got some cool stuff. Uh, but to the scale modeling part of his email, of late he's been having trouble with ghost seams. And uh, he wants to know if we've experienced anything, how we might handle that. So Jim and I have had a long, long discussions about this. And here's what I think. I think a lot of time, it has to do with the seam having been sanded so that what you're really seeing is not a ghost seam, but the difference in the polish level of the plastic. And I have found that if I apply an extra layer of primer, again, you know, Mr. Surfacer 1500 is super, super thin. So you're not going to fill any panel lines or do any, even if you put a heavy application on. But I have gone back whenever I've had a ghost seam and I've given the model a second application of primer. And in 99% of the cases, the ghost seam disappears. Jim? I a little bit disagree. I wonder if the ghost seam is a result of gluing your model together, and then overcoating with a lacquer-based primer that slightly reactivates the um, underlying glue. And my workaround has been trying to use more Steinolres acrylic primers so that I don't have that issue. Has it worked out for you? It seems to have worked out. Um, ghost seams are not a huge problem. 
in my world, except when they are. And the the kit that I'm fighting with them, I used a uh, I used a uh, lacquer primer. I use Mister Surfacer, but I wonder if it's just the lacquer thinner in the primer affecting it. And what I've been doing is like build the model, coat it with a Steinol res, and then put the Mister Surfacer over it, which is silly, um, and then paint the lacquer over the acrylic primer. I wonder why your panel lines are gone. Yeah, and then I have no panel lines left. Yeah, exactly. Me being armor centric, uh, I don't have a lot of issue with this. But uh, on the E sixteen, I I had some that were just wouldn't go away, and I just thought it was I was not letting the uh, the filler completely cure completely off gas and cure and tighten up and i don't know so you guys have two tips i guess i'll have to try and we'll see where it goes but uh for ghost seams if anybody else has got any good information i've never seen that really hashed out it's probably out there somewhere i just haven't had a reason to go look for it yet so if it's a web resource or something like that i'd be be curious to to read that well he has, a, has another question it's about getting the mojo back when it's lagging. You know, he's on a high point at the moment, but the, we have our low spots and can't bother to get to the bench or whatever. How do you guys fix the mojo blues? Well, let me start by saying that mojo is not some magic thing. It's not some some tangible thing, and it's it's really whatever you want to say it is. I wouldn't really overthink mojo. It's not. I mean, it, it's your motivation. It's your enthusiasm. It, it's all that or whatever you want it to be. Uh, but that said, we we, uh, we all have times when, when we, we're either too busy or, or just our project's got us down. Sometimes you just got to buckle down and, 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 and power through something, and sometimes that's hard to do. But uh, Dave, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's a, there are a number of things. One, sometimes it's completely external to your hobby. If your work is such that you are – you're you're getting slammed at work, you're working 10, 12 hour days, six days a week, etc. You come home, your brain is exhausted. Uh, even if you're not doing physical labor, if you're doing only mental labor, that saps your energy for modeling. Your your mojo disappears if you come home and you are utterly brain dead. So sometimes it's external to it. All you can do is recognize that that's happening and try and adjust your work-life balance as best you can. Uh, Sometimes it's internal to the hobby, like when you find yourself building a mosquito that you're utterly not interested in. And when you come down to the bench, you look at it and you can just feel any enthusiasm for modeling draining away. Well, that's internal to the hobby. That's something that you can power through and finish, but also you can recognize, I hate doing group builds, and I swear to God, I will never do one again. (laughs) So first, you have to kind of figure out where it's coming from. And then once you've truly figured out where it's coming from, that presents you with a lot of the solution in and of itself. Now, finally, I think there's some times where you just don't know. It just You're just not feeling it. And in those times, it's okay to sit back and grab some ordnance out of a kit and, you know, do a little sanding and putting together of ordnance, something that you're not 
that's not for a current project or you're not on deadline or you're not trying to finish for a contest. Finally, I will say, speaking of contests, and we'll talk about this more in our special segment, but there is nothing that gets the mojo going for me like attending a contest. You go to the contest, you interact with other modelers, you see models, uh, you see vendors, you find yourself acquiring kits that you didn't know you needed, etc., and all of that together gets you get your modeling mojo back. So uh, if you have an opportunity to go to a contest, your mojo's down, there's a contest near you that you can make time to get to, do it. Jim, what do you think? Well, I agree with most of what Dave said, but I think the solution is when you're down, just start another kit. Oh, oh, no, no, that's not right. No, no, that's the gym solution, and we know that doesn't work. I have a solution that's going to contradict something I said earlier, is I spent a lot of time wanting to be the guy who takes the old Airfix kit and makes it good, and that sapped my will to model. And I've learned, and I hate that I've become a sellout, and I'm going to say this, just buy the nice kits and build the nice kits. But what I've been trying to figure out for a long time is kind of what Dave said. If you got a tough day at work, modeling is supposed to be relaxing, but if I've had a crappy or stressful day, I don't want to model. And that seems really backwards. You'd think you'd be like, oh, I'll sit at the bench and have a good time and it'll distress me from my day. And I don't see that happening. And I don't really know why that is. Like it should relax me, but it stresses me out. And maybe it's just another set of things or maybe, you know, I always feel terrible saying this because I have the most sedate job. I'm a lawyer, but maybe Dave's right. You just use so much mental energy that the, you you end up having none left. And I wish I was the guy who could come home and model for an hour or two after a rough day and feel rejuvenated. Usually what just happens is it's so much easier to sit on the couch and watch hockey. Which isn't awful. It isn't awful, but it doesn't make the models move forward. Well, if we've helped Jason or not. Hopefully we have. One thing I do after a a tough day is I I do a lot of mundane things around the house and wait till it gets kind of late in the evening, usually after most of the other families turned in for the night. And then even after a pretty stressful day or heavy day, I can easily come down here and get something done. Maybe that's it. Maybe you need to decompress before you decompress. I do wonder if one of the things we all lack is just a level of just do it. Like just make yourself sit down and do it. And that way you will find the enjoyment. But I don't have that kind of self-control, I think. But that seems too much like work to oh, me. Oh, I agree with now, you. That's what it feels like to me, too. Now, I will I will say I'm very much like Mike in that I come down to model not right after I get home or right after dinner. It's usually after all of the family interaction, all of the – everybody's gone to bed. And at that point, I can come down, get in my model room, and can can model. And that's when I like to do it. But, uh, yeah, I don't want it to feel like work. Uh, guys, I got a piece of news for you here. This is the first time in Plastic Model Mojo history. I have tapped out. I've gone to the backup. <laughs> yeah. No, I I can't do that. Oh, <laughs> That good, eh? 
No, no. You've got, you've I, got cornbread riled up. Oh yeah, even cornbread's upset with you, Dave, for throwing the go. alcohol we get down a, the drink. We get a por- we get a cornbread <laughs> appearance in the episode. We have to pay extra for that. Oh yeah, that'll be an extra five dollars. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Jason, good luck keeping your motivation up. And I don't know how many shows are going on in Australia right now, but uh, if you can get to one, that's a big help. I do agree with that. And if you can get to Omaha, there'll be other Australians there. Michael Radsky from Noblesville, Indiana. You remember him, Dave? Yep. Remember what he did for us? Oh, let's see. What was that one? God, I can't remember. Uh, he fulfilled our request to pick up the Jamaican meat patties. Oh, that's right. Oh, (laughs) yes. And they were good. And he's taking orders. So we got to talk to him. Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you. I want definitely, because I cannot believe they're not open on the weekend. It just, it kills me. They don't have to be. They sell enough of this stuff. They don't have to be open on the weekend. The important question is, will he drive him out to the people's Republic of Washington? (laughs) <laughs> uh, probably not You're probably, probably out not. of luck <laughs> but you know you know what who knows if, if we take a detour on our way to omaha we can drive up to indy grab some patties in jamaica and take them to omaha have them have them in the uh, hotel room Ooh, it'll be a weekday yeah that is an excellent idea we're gonna pack a toaster oven sure why not oh and finally from my end dave is michael karnauka again uh he asked us what was the oldest set of decals or oldest paint we'd ever used last time yep now this one's an interesting one what is the oldest kit we recall still languishing on the shelves of the local hobby shop (sighs) or any hobby shop we'll we'll expand that a little you know that's a great question brian has some old brian picks up and this is probably true no it can't be a pickup it's got to be something that he got in and it's just freaking Oh, well, see, that's kind of hard for me to tell because I don't know. Because Brian and a lot of hobby shops will pick up collections. Uh, You know, people pass away, get out of the hobby, whatever. So sometimes you can walk into a hobby shop and find a really old kit, but it hasn't been on the shelf that entire time, that 50 years or whatever. It's just been in a collection and come back. Now, I will tell you, there are several kits that I have acquired over the years where it clearly was in the hobby shop so long that the box top had been faded by the sun. You know, what I should have done, given Brian's penchant for uh, computer records and stuff, he could probably tell me what's the oldest kit he's got in his inventory right now. Oh, I bet you he could. How many birthdays it's had? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a I've got a fun one for this one. Okay. So in uh, 1985, after my junior high school, um, I went to Germany with a trip that was uh, was like a, a a light exchange. We had some German students come to our high school for part of the school year, Mm -hmm. and then we went over and stayed with those families during the summer they were still in school actually but uh we weren't we went to school with them maybe two days the whole time we were in berlin didn't you didn't you defect to east germany during that trip that's a whole different story (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh down the street from the row house the family i stayed with lived in was this old school hobby and toy shop and then according to google google maps now street view it's a vietnamese restaurant so that's kind of sad 
unless you like Vietnamese food. There was this hobby shop and I went down there because I walked past it all the time going to the subway station. And I went in there and this is May, no, July, 1985. And on the shelves in this shop were pre round logo airfix kits. And I picked up like the Waterloo farmhouse, the Roman fort, the pontoon bridge. I remember all those castle was a Sherwood Nottingham castle. Is that what it is? Something like from, that. from Robin hood. Yeah. Uh, and then in their H O double O figures, I picked up a big stack of like the Royal horse, British Royal horse artillery, which at that time had never been reissued. So these are still in the boxes with the blue ends on them and, and just, just the banner logos. Yeah. So they're from the sixties. So they were 25, 26, 28 years old on that hobby shop shelves. <laughs> when I, when I showed up and I bought all of it and shipped it home. And the guy laughed as you walked out. <laughs> I took the American. That's right. I mean, they still had the same price on them. Yeah. <laughs> which which probably had aged pretty well over twenty five years. Probably had. But yeah. uh, Jim, what do you what do you got? You know, I don't have a good answer because I've got the same problem here that evil email at Skyway uh, Model Shop is always buying collections. So he's got some old stuff in there. But I have no idea what's the oldest thing that's continuous in the shop. Um, to make uh, Mr. Wallace happy, I'd probably say it's probably an old hobby craft kit, but then I'd be lying. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's uh, He's got some old stuff I've never seen before. And I think he does the typical thing everybody does is buys the collection, sells the really cool stuff on eBay, and then puts the rest on the shelves. But there's certainly some Aurora. The, the one story I have with this was our local model club, the Northwest Scale Modelers. We had a woman come in one day with three or four boxes of kits, and they were all World War One subjects, and her dad had had them forever, and there was stuff I'd never seen before, like old Aurora and everything else. Um, and she just gave them to the club, and people got to take them home, and under my new thing of not uh, bringing home old crappy kits, I let other people take them. Smart move on your part. Exactly. Uh, I think I built the old Aurora Albatross. Yeah, I'd never seen so many Aurora kits in person. It was crazy. Well, I I, I got that kit because uh, there used to be a uh, a five and dime store in the mall back home called McCrory's. I don't know. They were a franchise or yep. a chain, but I don't, I don't remember how many of them they were. But uh, usually after Christmas, after New Year's in January, they get these big dumps of like uh, – Tyco model railroad structures and HO scale or, or Ravel Italeri boxings of all this stuff. They just get just like a pallet load of this stuff. And uh, they had a bunch of old white box Aurora kits one time, like right at the tail end of Aurora. They probably got them out of, you know, receivership or something. Anyway, but, you know, I've often walked into hobby shops and found something that's been out of production for stinking decades. That's That's always fun. Yes. Although in 99 times out of 100, you should put it back on the shelf because <laughs> life is too short to build old crappy kits. Well, I disagree, but <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that this episode. Was there anything on the Facebook wire to this time, Dave? Nothing, nothing that popped out at me. We appreciate all the email. If you'd like to email the show, you can do so by emailing us at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com, or you can send us a Facebook message through Facebook Messenger app, and we appreciate all of it. 
we love the interaction and we love getting, getting the, getting the messages from you guys and the emails and, uh, you know, interact in that fashion. This is the point in the episode where I ask you, uh, when you're done with the pod, listening to the podcast, you go to Apple iTunes or whatever podcast app you use to listen to us. If you'll go rate our podcast, give it five stars. It helps bring us uh, more visibility to more people. Um, in addition, please subscribe if you don't haven't already subscribed so that you don't miss any episodes. Finally, if you know a modeling friend who doesn't listen to podcasts, doesn't know we're out there, please recommend us. Uh, give them a little help to download a podcasting app and show them how to listen to our episodes. Uh, we'd appreciate it because we continue to grow much, much to our amazement. We continue to grow. There are still new people coming in and discovering the podcast. And the best way for that to happen is for a current listener to tell somebody. So please do that. In addition to that, please check out all the other podcasts out there in the model sphere. Uh, we've got quite a few of them now and we've created a consortium website through the help of Stuart Clark at scale model podcast. Uh, you can visit modelpodcast.com and there's a links, a direct link to all the other podcasts who are participating in, in this. Please check out all their great content as well. Uh, it's modelpodcast.com. In addition to that, there's a lot of uh, non-podcast content to be had out there. Please check out our blog and YouTube friends. Please check out Stephen Lee's uh, blog, Sprue Pie with Frets, for a lot of uh, great blog content. Chris Wallace, model airplane maker, blog and YouTube videos. Uh, great aircraft modeler out of Ottawa. Check him out as well. Jeff Groves, all things 72nd scale at the Inchai Guy blog. Jeff, I uh, look forward to seeing you coming up, man. Probably in India. I hope. Yep. Oh, yeah. He'll be in Indy for sure. And finally, we're going to get it from the horse's mouth. Jim Bates of Scale Canadian TV. Jim, what is up with the tie-dyed shirt and what's happening next? I'm going to have to put on the tie-dyed shirt and record an episode this week. It was trade deadline day in the NHL, and I need to do a, do, need to do a vlog. I just posted one up from my trip in Colorado, hitting some of the museums and uh, restaurants in Colorado Springs. And even uh, went to the dark side and talked about some tanks. All right. Well, that that is your first travel log episode of a scale Canadian TV, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm very fearful. I didn't wear the shirt, so that's going to get me in trouble. Um, I think the boys upstairs are going to have to have a talk with me. But the shirt is uh, out of the dryer, out of the washer, and look for something this week, probably before this even drops. Well, last time I checked on YouTube, the, that was becoming a very popular episode very quickly. So maybe a little bit more Jim Bates out and about content is what the people are craving. Well, I'm just hoping that uh, Jim Bates can get out and about more often. You know, it's kind of been a sucky few years for getting out and about. But I would not be surprised. And, and, and I know you guys have called me a sellout and this isn't going to help that. But uh, we might have some on the road in Salt Lake City coming up. All right. Well, finally, uh, if you are not a member of IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS Australia, whatever country you live in, uh, if you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, please consider joining. IPMS does fantastic work. Uh, that's International Plastic Modeler Society. Uh, they do great work in promoting the hobby 
and providing a framework for modelers to interact with each other. So please consider joining IPMS. And just to throw out an IPMS Canada plug, we are working on the next free decal sheet. And I have uh, I have submitted my suggestions in my research. If there's anybody out there with Canadian decal uh, decals they'd like to see, especially of the research, hit me up because uh, we're always looking for subjects. Wait a minute. Did you suggest or did you just take my suggestion and make it your own? Yes. I was just going to warn him that he was talking in third person there a little bit and... Uh... Jimmy Hoffa talked in third person. Well, if I disappear, you'll find me under the end zone of the Washington football team slash whatever they're called uh, end zone. Not if we bury you, you won't. <laughs> That's right. You'll be on a field in Omaha. That's more likely, yes. All right. Let's take a break here and have a word from our sponsor, Model Paint Solutions, and uh, let Dave uh, recover from his poor drink selection. Whew. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. We are back, and it's Wagons Ho for Omaha. I cannot wait, man. We're getting close. You know how close we are, Dave? Are, are we still over 100 days? We are 120 days away from the IPMS <gasps> National Convention in Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. We're pre-registered. I'm pre-registered. I got my hotel, and I'm uh, set up for night at the museum as well. All right. This is going to be a barn burner, guys. We are going to... The, the guys from Australia are coming in, and assuming Justin Trudeau... Uh, is kissed properly. We uh, we're going to get the Canadians down here. It is going to be a barn burner of a national convention, at least for us. Yeah. Well, listen, it's going to be like the like uh, like the Who showing up. If the hotel is still standing when we leave, they're going to consider it a win. Don't oversell us, Dave. <laughs> I got to have a good time there, but not. <laughs> you don't want to get arrested. I need course, memories, though. <laughs> well, that's, that's true, too. Hey, you have memories of Vegas. Well, you know, we kept it. <laughs> yes, we did. We kept it dialed back within reason. This is where I uh, want to bring up Knights forgetting his uh, chair in somebody's room in Omaha as he stumbled back to his room. And I'm not convinced no, he went in, in the Vegas. wrong door. It was Vegas. No, it was Chattanooga. No, no, it was Chattanooga. It was Geldmacher's room. Mm -hmm. I left the chair there when I went back to my hotel room. Exactly. And and I'm not convinced that you didn't go into somebody else's hotel room by mistake. No, it was five doors. It was easy to find. <laughs> I was fine. But I appreciate you building me up like that. Uh, <laughs> Led Zeppelin got nothing on you, man. That's right. That's right. Well, o Omaha is going to be a barn burner. You definitely have to attend. We, we keep getting emails saying folks are coming. Uh, keep sending those. We want to meet everybody. Come yep. by the table. We got our table. We're all set. Yep. So so everybody listening needs to get set who can come to that show because it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Dave, I tell you, we've, we're pre-registered. We got our tickets for Night at the Museum. The Australians are coming. What else? We started a podcast tradition in Vegas where all of the podcast guys all got together and had breakfast. And I am looking forward to doing that again because that was just 
That was a great time. We're all sitting around. It was a great time to meet and get to know all of those guys who, you know, you only know from their voice over the, over the podcast before that. So Goldfins, bring the Vegemite. We'll have some on our toast at the breakfast. That's right. That's right. You bring a jar of Vegemite, we'll make everybody have some on their toast. Podcast aside, everybody else in the listening world should uh, get pre-registered. If they still can, for whatever they still can. I don't know yep. what's available. I haven't looked. I don't know if Night of Museum is booked or not. I would imagine it's probably close if it's not, so you might want to get on that. Yes. Ah, uh, and the uh, Speed Museum is also the other one. Yeah, the tour for the Speed Museum, which I'm sure is getting close. There may still be availability. There may not, but at least check it out. I know the hotels are all booked for the convention hotels themselves. Uh, but there are plenty of surrounding hotels. So, you know, get yourself a room. You don't want to be driving 30, 35 minutes to and from the, the, um, from the convention site. Cause that robs you of time at the convention and you don't want to miss a minute of the convention. And the other thing is if you are a modeling club, a scale model business, Hobby shop, individual with some money to blow. Trophy sponsorships are still available, and uh, they would really love some help selling those guys out because that's a big expense for the show, uh, and it's a a good way to get a plug for your for your uh, enterprise, whatever it happens to be. And uh, please go to the website and see what's see what's out there and, and uh, sponsor trophy trophy package if you haven't haven't ever done so, or if you've done it, do it again. I think we're going to do it, Dave. Yep, and I think Puget Sound Estate Solutions ought to do it. We can make that happen. All right, well, that's our update for Wagon So for Omaha. Get online, get pre-registered, sign up for everything you can, sponsor a trophy package, and come by the table and see us. It's going to be a blast. It is indeed. All right, well, Dave, it is the Benchtop Halftime Report, sponsored by Tackett Z. Taggett Z, the must-have tools for the model maker, www.taggettz.com. Give Ed a notice and see what he's got to offer you for your workbench. And uh, if you got any suggestions for him to make in the future, he'd sure like that too, I'm, sh- I'm certain. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, uh, let's start with you. What, what's your bench top look like, as if I didn't know? You may not know. All right, well, tell me. Or you might. <laughs> The Musaru Cup entry is done. Yay! So Mike has finished a model in 2022. That's right. We we still need the music. Uh, I know, uh, and I've been poking around. People have made suggestions, but you know we got to have something license free. We can't be having Handel's Messiah and stuff like that. Yeah, that ain't gonna work. I was thinking more about the Valkyrie song from Apocalypse Now, but whatever. Well, if you get an old enough recording, it's out of copyright. We could use it. All right. Well, you you guys are the attorneys, so I'm going to come up with something good. Okay. Here. Well, back to my bench. The Mooser Cup's done, and I'm not going to say much about that until they announce the winner Sunday the 27th. Is that right? I think so. So. Yeah, this coming Sunday. So, uh, folks, I, uh, I don't know how that's going to be announced, but uh, stay tuned. Either scale model podcast is where probably I would watch the most because they're they're going to be at the that at, at Heritage Con where this is going to be announced. And uh, next episode, I'll talk about my Musaru Cup project. 
But yes, we, we definitely want to do that. That is not all I've been working on. Really? Also on the bench is still the Zist 2 project, primarily the base. And I don't know, it was the last episode or two episodes ago, I was talking about you know how I was going to paint the whole thing black with the exception of the revetment planking that I'd already painted prior and how I thought that was going to go well and other delusional things, I'm sure. <laughs> well, that didn't go as planned. So I had to repaint all that. So right now. By I, all that, you mean all the wood planking. All the wood planking on the emplacement walls. Had to redo it all from scratch. Well, yes, I had to repaint it all. Uh, I'm back to where I was before the gaff. So uh, we're moving forward again. And it's uh, looking good, Dave. I got it all painted and weathered wood look again. I'm, 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 I'm happy with it. I was worried I was not going to measure up to the last time I did it. Uh, but uh, I think last time I was a little worried. There's a little bit of uh, bad contrast between the like the little palette I made to set the gun on and the walls of the revetment. Yeah. And I think I've kind of got that kind of balanced out now. So looking good. Good. So, so it's going to get done this year. No comment. Are you going to promise that it's going to be done before Omaha? I'm not going to promise, but I sure hope it is. <laughs> okay. I hope it's done before Indy, but we'll see. Which, which, <laughs> which means that, the Paul has to come out and get finished, right? Uh, once this is done, yeah. But I've also been f- still doing the 3D print stuff for the, the Katusha project. And I've been playing with, uh, well, you know, we talked about 3D print last episode, didn't we? Right. And I believe you asked about the support structure. Yeah. Well, for my last print r- print. Uh, trial with the, those leaf springs, I, I completely did the support structure from scratch and because I was trying an orientation that I thought would be optimal. Well, the orientation of the print was optimal, but I failed to put a couple of supports where I needed them and the print ultimately failed. I got, I got a full part, but there was some distortion on one of the ends of the, of the leaf springs, uh, wheel hub details that, uh, wasn't going to work for me. So I've gone back and I've edited that model again and I put support structure there. I'm waiting for a green light on the printer at work to print those again. I tell you, if, if these come out, that project's moving forward at a rapid pace. It's going to come out of the chute. So I'm excited well, about that. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, la- last time we talked, you said you didn't envision any further 3D printing for that project. Are you reconsidering that? position given the fact that uh uh you've you've climbed a learning curve and the fact that this particular leaf spring part turned out so well uh for that project i think uh well let me back up that was in the context of parts for that project right so so that i didn't mean that i was i was done 3d printing that particular part because it wasn't quite there yet right uh but now it is i think with this next iteration it'll be a done deal. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, everything else is going to come from kits and some aftermarket. Well, I'll be interested to see how that develops. Well, Jim, what do you got going on? Well, most importantly, I've got my Exacto out and I'm ready to slit my wrists because you guys have all finished a kit and I haven't finished anything in 2022. So I'm pretty much ready to end it all. 
Um, as I hinted at before, I've been working on two projects for the Museum of Flight, and one of them is a 1144 scale Canadair Challenger, which is a Ravel kit from about 2000. And the other one is the bane of my existence. I call it the Trudeau bus. It's a uh, Airbus A310, which in Canada we call the CC150. And I thought this was a 2000 kit. But it's from 1984, and it has just sapped my will to live. I've got the gray on it. I've got to paint the wings. I'm building this up totally just as like those old airline models we used to see in travel agency. It's got no surface detail. It was all raised panel lines. Um, And this thing's just a piece of garbage. But I got to get it done for early April for our first meeting to get into the case. Um, Besides that, and, and this is something that, I didn't really think about it. I've been playing around a lot with 72nd scale armor and a local modeler friend mentioned, maybe that's a reaction to having to build all this stuff for the case um, at the museum. And, and I think the modeler is correct that that's where I am. So I've got a Airfix Sherman and I've got a MIG ammo T54 on the desk. And my goal is to bang a few small armor pieces out to try to get back into it, because it's just sad that you guys have finished more than me. Jim, you and I have discussed, we we, t- we talk every day. I mean, look, no, no secret there. It seems like you've discovered through your trials and tribulations the same thing that I've discovered through the Mosquito, which is these commitment builds where you are committing to building something that you have not chosen for yourself and that is on a deadline just simply is not good for your hobby. Not only is it not good for my hobby, I don't think it's good for my mental health. Me too. I have all these issues where I don't want to let down the museum. I've committed to build something, but I hate the build. And one of the things I've noticed over the last month is, well, I thought I got out of this build because I missed the deadline. And unfortunately, they extended the deadline amount. But what I noticed is it's just one of these things of it's keeping me from the bench. I'd much rather build tiny tanks than screw around with this Airbus. And I don't hate the subject. You know, it's not it, it's something I once had a 172nd scale A310. Thankfully, I sold that. But I'm just not motivated and it feels like work and it feels like a deadline and it causes a lot of anxiety because I think I've been pretty open that I struggle with feeling I'm a crappy modeler and these things are going to be seen by thousands of people. Now, thousands of people that don't know a good model from a bad model, but I don't want to put something out that's crappy. And what I've done is kind of backed away of I'm just saying I'm not building for the case anymore. I got to stop this because it's really, really impacting my hobby. Well, see, and that's that's the same thing I got with the Mosquito build, who I built with a bunch of guys that I love. I love interacting with the Septembrists. It's a great, great group of guys. But for me, if if I'm not enthused about the subject, if I'm feeling like they're... The problem is, and maybe this has to do with your and my work, it b- both of us being attorneys, there are a lot of deadlines. Right. And the last thing I need in a hobby is a deadline. Right. And and, and I really do think that has a hugely negative effect 
on 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 what I do. And so I've just I've unless I am motivated for the a group build and it's something that I want to do, like as a matter of fact, the next September's group build is actually something that I'm very interested in doing. Other than that, I'm just not I'm just not gonna put myself under that pressure. Well, I'm even concerned that something I want to do, I would struggle with deadlines. Yes. I, and that's, again, I'm not going to do anything short deadline. Luckily, if we're the, what the Septembers are currently talking about is a two year deadline. And if I can't get something done in two years, shame on me. Well, you guys also give me a whole lot of flack for starting kits. And one of the things I've been thinking about is what happens if my hobby is just starting everything I own and not finishing and 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 the intellectual thought of dreaming what this project could become is more important than what the project actually becomes. And yeah, we need to finish things, but I don't want somebody hanging over my head. This has to be done for Tuesday because I'll admit it. I'm going to cut corners. And this Airbus is going to have a lot of corners cut that it would never see the inside of a show, but I got to get it done. And I'm more enjoying just playing around with tanks, losing, learning new techniques, um, doing different things. And I wonder sometimes if I just like airplanes too much to finish enough models of them, whereas tanks, I'm less invested. And it seems like right now more fun. I do think that that, that for an aircraft builder, and this is, this may well be true opposite for armor builders, but for an aircraft builder, I think armor makes a great palate cleanser. Is as long as you don't get AMS and buy forty books on the subject and go deep in the research and and all of that, and you just take it as a I'm going back to basics. I'm going to take a box. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to look at the instructions. I'm going to follow the instructions, put it together, paint it, put it on the shelf, and get back to the basic joy of modeling. I think that that's a really, that's a really powerful way to get yourself back into the groove. And my only problem is I can't stop myself by going down research rabbit holes because I started building these Shermans and then I had to go learn everything about at least the Canadian operation of the Shermans. So I've now learned the difference between a Firefly 1 and a Firefly 5 and all this stuff. And and then I see myself obsessing again, and that's when I've just got to say, hey, this is fun. This is not another thing to obsess about or another job. And that's somewhat, you know, I think I said on here before, it's hard for me to build hurricanes because I know a lot about the Hawker hurricane. Right. And... In Denver, um, Steve Baker handed me a uh, Hurricane 2 by Arma, which is a beautiful kit. Oh, And it's got Canadian decals in it. And my goal is I'm going to build it out of the box just because he gave it to me and I'm not going to obsess about it. And that's going to be hard, but that's one of my goals for the year. So I guess, Dave, what are you working on? As we know, the mosquitoes in the barn, uh, I'm still going to use it kind of, I'm going to get some more value out of it by using it as a pencil mule to learn more of these uh, AK watercolor pencil techniques, which I really like. Uh, but it's, for all intents and purposes, it's done and it's in the in the finished column. I've been working on this Minicraft 144 scale B-52 that is 
absolutely a fun build. Uh, it goes to reinforce everything I've said about modern kits compared to kits from even 15 years ago. The tech, there has been a technology leap forward that makes models so much easier and so much better to build. Now, I think on the flip side, I think you have to pay a little more attention because things fit so well and so precisely that that you have to pay a little more attention in the assembly sequence and in the uh, process of assembly. But boy, and I think it's it's something that's great for modelers because I think because these kits are engineered so well, it is so much easier to become a good modeler very quickly because the kits themselves are so good. And this uh, uh, Minicraft B-52 is, uh, is really an example of that. So it's, it's well on the way. Uh, I'm going to do it in the markings of my brother's aircraft when uh, he was in the Bosnian conflict. And then I have started dipping my toe into chipping the M30, which is not that far from being completed, but I've hesitated because I know nothing about chipping. Uh, but I took a uh, KV-1 turret and used it as a mule to test the techniques, and it it worked. And so now I've got enough confidence that I've started to chip. I've started to chip the wheels and uh, I'll try and post some shots of that. I'm to the point where not only do I see two more completions in my near-term future, but I've started to actually contemplate, okay, so what do I want to bring onto my bench next? And I'll be honest with you, there's a, there's a certain amount of, of mojo from that. There's a certain amount of buzz. There's a certain amount of getting, your, getting, your, getting excited about that. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I just want to add that this whole dissing on group builds is it's pretty much just us, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would point out that TJ did not finish the Musaru for, uh, uh, for the Musaru Cup. So at least for that particular group build, he didn't, uh, he didn't make it either. But they're big on the group builds, and yes, you know, you know uh, Malcolm with his forty-eight uh, hour build to support the uh, model, models for heroes is going on. A lot of the guys across the podcast are are in on that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that for me falls on a a bad time. So yeah, uh, I'm not gonna be able to do any of that. But you know, it's it's not it it hasn't worked for me. The group builds, the commitment builds have not worked for me. But uh, sure works for other people. Yeah. And if, if it works for you, more power to you. That's great. That's awesome. Well, I clearly don't learn because I'm taking part in the 48-hour group build. Well, good. Good. And keep in mind, I have done in the past uh, at least three of those what we call blitz bows or 24-hour builds where you build over either one 24-hour period or two 12-hour periods back-to-back to to finish a model. And uh, that every time I've done it, it's been fun. So, Dave, what have you finished other than the Corsair? 
Corsair Spit Nine or Spit Nineteen and the Tiny Sub. Maybe a Tiny Sub. That might have been the third one, which was really cheating. I'll admit. We had to put the baking soda in it. <laughs> that's right. Do you remember those that made it go up and down? That's a, that's a deep reach, man. Moving along. Uh, I assume that building is not all we've been doing, that we've been buying as well as building. So I'll start with Jim. Jim, what's broken your wallet lately? Well, I went to Denver, and the first thing that happened is we ended up in Aberdeen Books. Oh, nice choice. that was dangerous. I came home with a Brian Cole book on Hurricanes Over Malta for five bucks. That's oh, that's a deal of a lifetime. I came home with a um, British book on the Blenheim Mark One, which was not five bucks. And JB John <laughs> Bonani made me buy a book on the uh, Churchill Crocodile, which is actually my forty-eight hour build subject. So that started it. Then we went over to Colpar, and I had to pick up the Zvezda one seventy-two Snap Tight M four A two Sherman. Because who knows when we'll see Zvezda kits again. And this is before I got to the show. And then at the show, I really lost my mind. And I bought a 135th uh, Leopard um, t- leopard C Two. Canadian Leopard by Tacom. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned John Bonani. I'm trying to become the junior John Bonani where people just hand me stuff. JB gave me a kit of the um, MIG ammo... T-54 and 72. He also gave me a Ghost of Kiev uh, 3D print and a MiG-23, which is not a MiG-23, but the XF-92, I think it is, from uh, a Howard Hughes movie called Jet Pilot. And Steve Baker handed me a hurricane. So I'm coming home from Denver wondering what clothes I need to leave behind to bring back all the models. That is a great problem to have, my friend. Indeed it is. And um, this is the guy, by the way, who said I wasn't buying another model to Omaha. I'm a liar. What about you, Dave? Uh, Let's see. I picked, I got the IBG uh, Focke-Wulf 190D9, which is a flat, amazing kit. It's just awesome. Uh, I replenished it. By getting a can of Mr. Surfacer 1500 Black, uh, because I was down to one can, and that is one of those modeling items that I always want to have a spare of, because I never want to run out in the middle of a project. Uh, I also picked up a couple of very, very fine Zem brushes. 010s and 020s to do some very fine uh, detail painting. And then I picked up, to carry on Jim's theme of books, I picked up a book called Doomed from the Start. This is volume two by an author named Niall Cherry. It's on, it's part of the two volume set on the uh, British operations in Norway in 1940, which is to me an endlessly fascinating subject. 
I really, really enjoy reading on it. I'm looking forward now that I've got the complete set to reading those. And I've actually gotten a little bit of time to read lately. So that's that's good news. Mike, has your wallet been broken? Well, wait a minute. I, I know your wallet's been partially broken. Oh, you do? Yes, because... Cause I've seen the item that you that you just got in. Uh, I did. I, I I bought after the uh, eBay debacle last month over the holiday season. Yeah, I found another uh, dental vacuform machine. I, I've I've bought it. It's arrived. I've checked it out. It's all good. Time to rock and roll. All right. So I have to ask, Mike, when are you opening your dental office? I'm not opening a dental office, but a dental lab, maybe. Okay, when are you opening your dental lab? Because it sounds like all you're buying is recreating uh, your dad's uh, location from your youth. That would not be far from the mark, I tell you. It's interesting. If we've got any younger listeners out there, uh, listen to your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, you know what? And I urge everyone to do this about, oh, I guess it's probably 10 years ago. I went to my father and I told him, dad, 95% of everything you ever told me turned out to be right. And I was an idiot for not listening. And you know what? Your dad deserves to hear that before they pass on to know that their sons figured it out and that indeed they were right in all of that advice that they gave their kid. Well, let me, let me expound on that a little bit. So I bought, I bought this dental vacuum for machine and, and, and Jim makes a joke, but it's like I said, it's not far from the mark because my, my father was a dentist and, and he knew that I didn't really have a lot of interest in following the, the medical side of the dental career, you know, to be an actual dentist. Sure. But he did more than once offer up a, running a dental lab as, a, you know, some viable career option. And and that was totally from what he saw me doing in my scale modeling at the time. It's absolutely, without doubt, that's where that came from. Yeah. Because, you know, we were using his equipment, his dental lab equipment in his dental office to do stuff for my scale modeling. And a, a dental lab would do, do this tenfold more than he was doing in his regular practice, right? Right. Uh, so yes, my, my dad was right. Had I, had I chosen that, that might've been a successful career avenue for me. Not saying I've got any regrets for what I did. I don't, I don't have any regrets for what I did, but you know, now in the job I'm in now come 30 years later from my first day on the job at, as a degreed engineer out of school, yeah. uh, you're running a lab. And I'm not too far off what uh, what he thought might be a good career option for me. So, so Dad, there you go. By the way, you need to send your father the, this recording so that he can, <laughs> he gets that joy because he deserves it. Uh, he does. And, yeah, and I, I would point out that at least you get to put stuff in space and make it come back, which I don't think anybody running a dental lab probably gets to do. So, you know. You have a little bit of bragging rights from that. Well, as far as my wallet's concerned, that is actually all I've bought since the last time we've ran this segment. So not bad, not cheap, but not bad. Now, now speak it, let's expound on it just a little bit. You bought, it's a used dental vacuum former, correct? Correct. 
So it works, it's functional, but it does need some cosmetic type parts. Yes. You know, we've talked on the podcast before, there's this Chinese machine that's being offered now on eBay and Amazon everywhere. It's not very much. It's under $200. Yeah. Under $150 a lot of times. Yeah. And it gets good reviews from the people who've, who've looked at it. Fair enough. This one I bought, though, is, is a version that my dad actually had in his dental office. Uh, it's still made today. I can still buy replacement parts for it. And I got a feeling that if it craps out, that I can I can fix it. Yeah. Whereas if I had one of these other Chinese ones, I'd have to pay the purchase price again because I'd be out of luck. Right. That's the thought. Now, some of the replacement parts for my my machine aren't cheap. So maybe. But they're quality. They're quality. Maybe the Chinese machine is not a bad option. I don't know. I don't know what the service life is going to be. It's going to depend on how much you use it, obviously. Uh, But this one for me. It's familiar to me. I can get replacement parts for it. It just needs some like handles and knobs and stuff that have broken off. Sure. Or, or are missing. Nothing, nothing major. Uh, I've tested it out. It's, it's all, it's all solid. It works. So that leads to the other question. What do you envision doing with this? First off is the front fenders for my Rebu Botan project. I thought that might be the case. That, so. that is, a, that is the, the one I've already started the 3D models for in CAD. I'm looking away to 3D print the the bucks to to, to vacuform these, and that's what I'm going to do. Gotcha. I figured that's what you were going to do, but I wanted to hear it from you and the occasional canopy from you. Okay. <laughs> Again, I've determined the best thing in the world is not to have a 3D printer or a vacuform machine. It's to have a good friend with a 3D printer or a vacuform machine or a cricket cutter. Or a cricket cutter. Or a silhouette right. cutter, whatever silhouette. you're going to buy. That's yeah, right. silhouette. So, Dave, when are you buying the silhouette cutter? Yeah. I'm looking at the next 30 days, and it, it just has to do with the way finances fall. Because I've got a friend with a uh, 3D printer. I've got a friend with a uh, vacuform machine now. I just need a friend with a silhouette cutter. That's that's what I'm here for, brother. I've got an imaginary friend who's an accountant who says Dave spent more in modeling fluid since he first mentioned a silhouette cutter than the cost of an actual silhouette cutter. <laughs> I think that's true. A, that's true. But B, I am not giving up modeling fluid just to get a silhouette cutter. But I mean, on the other hand, you could stop buying crappy alcohol and get a silhouette cutter. Y- y- well, okay. I, do you know that crappy alcohol t- cost me a... A dollar ninety nine. There you go. Wasn't that your warning? Yes, I still overpaid in right. retrospect. <laughs> in retrospect, I did overpay, but we'll get to that at the end. Well, if that's all we've bought, and our wallets are duly broken, uh, our special segment tonight is the twenty twenty two show season, past, present, and future. Well, Jim, we're going to start with you. In the past, you've had a couple of shows under your belt in the last month or so. Yeah, in February, we hosted our uh, Northwest Scale Modeler show, which I believe we had something like 1,700 models. This is a very different show from pretty much anything that happens in the U.S. It is a display-only show with one award. Uh, And that's the award the curator of the Museum of Flight picks. And this year it was a sci-fi subject, which was cool. But um, we set up a whole bunch of tables under the, I'm going to call it the SR-71. And Tim Nelson's going to tell me it's an M21. 
And uh, we just have a lot of people bring their models and it's everything from, you know, if you've got the first model you built to the last. And uh, we had some modelers with over 200 of their models that they brought. And we had other modelers like me who brought about 20. And uh, it was just a great weekend. It's a two-day show, standing around, talking models, meeting people. Uh, A couple of the posse guys, JB and Scott, came up to the show and then after that, they invited me to reciprocate by going out to uh, Denver, uh, Colorado for the Kami Fest, which was in um, the Arapaho, I think I'm saying that right, county fairgrounds. And this was a true contest. I entered nothing. And uh, it was a great time. I don't remember how many models they had, but it was a smaller show. Tons of aircraft, tons of science fiction, tons of armor. And it's just fun to spend the day sitting at a table, yapping with people. At one point, I think we had 12, 15 people standing around the uh, plastic posse table chatting about models. And what I kind of want to get across to everybody out there in podcast land is the best part is not winning. It's not even entering your models. It's hanging around in the relationships you build with the other modelers. And there's not much more fun than sitting around talking modeling. Now, we also retreated back to Mr. Banani's house and had a bunch of pork and Coke Zero. Who knew modelers drank three cases of Coke Zero in a night? But hey, it's just it's fun to hang out and have friends. And I wish more people would go to shows. And even if your models aren't aren't competitive, enter just so you've got something on the table and hang out and talk to people. Jim, I could not agree more. People focus too much on the quote-unquote competition or the quote-unquote contest, the best part of any model contest is the social interaction. Because again, modeling can be a pretty solitary hobby. Uh, Even if you're involved with a model club where you get together regularly, the, the vast majority of your modeling is done in your basement or your model room or whatever, sitting there alone listening to a podcast or watching TV or a YouTube video. The big benefit of going to a contest is the interaction with other modelers. And and the thing that you quickly discover is that because you have a common frame of reference, a.k.a. models and modeling, you're friends with 90% of the people at the contest. You don't know that you are until you start talking to them, but you're friends with them because you both share a common experience. And it is a great way for modelers to socialize. Well, and, and the other thing is, I think as modelers, we hear a lot about the, the the rivet, I don't want to say rivet counter, but the jerk who's criticizing your model or the jerk who's trying to knock everybody down. And I'm not going to say those people don't exist, but 95% of modelers are awesome to hang out with. And unfortunately, it's kind of the 5% of ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. And that's true. That's true of any hobby would just focus on the 90%, 95% of the cool dudes and ignore the jerks. Yeah. Um, because they take up a whole lot of oxygen when most people are totally awesome. Yep, I completely agree. Now, Jim, this this show that you ran and see or co-ran in Seattle, 
it was the first time that it had been run in what, two years? Yeah. So we, we did the show, we worked the show in and I forget what year because time has become very relative over the last couple of years. We did the last show. It's a February show. So we got one in under the wire and then COVID hit and it knocked us out, I think for two years. And this was the first show in the Pacific Northwest that happened. One of the things, and I think you guys have talked about this before, is we're still struggling with a lot of shows because they're in quasi-governmental age kind of entities that run the facilities. Right. So often they still have a lot of COVID restrictions. And for example, our IPMS contest, I don't know if it's going to happen because the facility it's in, the Renton Community Center... They won't even talk to anybody, I think, till May about an event. So I don't know if they're going to try to do it late in the year or just say, hey, we'll come back next year. We're really lucky that we have this relationship with the Museum of Flight because the Museum of Flight has been hurting for attendance because people just aren't getting out. And what we found out from doing the show, it was the largest weekend attendance of the Museum of Flight since our last show. And you may say, oh, that doesn't surprise me. Well, in the summer, the Museum of Flight has a crazy amount of attendance on the weekends. And like when we have what we call um, Seafair here, where the Blue Angels come to town, they've got so many people coming through the doors, but they've lost that for a couple of years. So it was nice to be able to kind of set their record. And they appreciate us very much. And, and it's it's a great symbiotic relationship but it also shows kind of how much we've been locked in our houses the last year. And I think you guys have talked about this before. I think people have been building and I think there's a pent up demand for these shows. Now, I'm not going to go down the road of I like an exhibit better than a contest um, because Dave still refuses to come out to the uh, Northwest Scale Modeler show because there's no vendors. But hey, Skyway's just down the way. Shout out to Emo. I need I need vendors, man. I wish there was more exhibits of models and a museum's an awesome place to do it. And as I've joked, hey, I'm willing to franchise Jim's Model Show Inc. in your museum. Give me a call. But um, I don't want to take credit. The, the, the organizer this year, our show czar, was Tim Nelson. Uh, I was simply the show Rasputin. Um, and that makes me sad because I want to be the show Rasputin next year, but I guess I'm going to be the czar. So I feel like I'm getting downgraded, but it's just fun to get out and, and spend the day modeling. And the one thing that, and I don't want to be negative, but the one thing that a little wears on me in the contest is you enter your models and you're stuck there till the bitter end until they announce the show and do all the judging. Whereas here at the Museum of Flight, it's just an exhibit. So you can just, there's no stress at all. Like you don't need to worry about judging. We're not looking for volunteer judges. It's just you come, you talk models, you hang out, you look at all the models. Um, and I would like to see more of that. Uh, I'd also like to see shows do a better job of being efficient at their contests and not keeping us locked in till, you know, five to six o'clock waiting to hear the awards. But that might just be the nature of the beast. Well, I do think uh, contests are getting better about that, uh, doing things like what IPMS Louisville has done for a number of years, which is putting out all of the first, second, and third place awards out and only announcing the best ofs, et cetera, and the special awards 
to get people out of the contest by like 3.30 in the afternoon so that folks who've driven in for the day have a reasonable hope of getting back the same day. Right. Um, I think that's awesome. And the other thing the Commie Fest guys were doing is they registered everything digitally. And I think that's very cool. And and I know we're talking to our friends from IPMS Hamilton, but I kind of thought their idea of getting the registration done digitally ahead of time is kind of a really cool idea. And instead of doing it all on paper, we've all got the technology to make this more digital and more, you know, spreadsheet based rather than filling out all this paper. Well, and I do think that is the wave of the future. Now, I can tell you from my interactions with IPMS USA and Jim, I suspect your interactions with IPMS Canada are similar. There is still that diehard 10% who refuse to get an email address and uh, and to have a computer. So, but those folks are getting now so rare that I suspect more and more contests are going to be unwilling to cater to them. Right. I think, I think at IPMS Canada, we've got like three or five people who don't have email, um, which always amazes me because we got a lot of really old guys with email too. Like how did some people adopt the technology and others just let it pass them by? Um, what I'd like to see IPMS USA do is digitize judging for the nationals, but I feel we're still a few years off. And and I suspect we are, but uh, uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, now, I do, do want to say that having attended IPMS Cincinnati show in a museum, I can see the attraction of a model contest in a museum. It adds just another level of interest and entertainment so that uh, um, you're basically killing more birds with one stone as far as that goes. So I can see the attraction of the Museum of Flight. Yeah, it's, and you know, I I think you guys had somebody on who was doing a show in an armor museum. And I think that it's, it's a good symbiotic relationship. And what I would say is approach your local museum, because if they're a cool museum, they're going to want the models to drive attendance. And I'm pretty convinced that Heritage Con is in Hamilton at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum because, you know, a random Sunday in, when is it? It's going to be March. Right. There's probably not a huge amount of attendance, but you throw a whole lot of models on the table and you've got more people coming through the door, paying admission to the museum. That benefits the museum. So I think that it's a great relationship to have where the museum benefits through people through the door um, and and press and all that. And the modelers benefit because you've got this awesome place to look at stuff besides the models. And, you know, one of the things that I get some feedback with the Museum of Flight show is, well, we were so busy and looking at the models, we didn't get to look at the museum and that's why we do a two-day show, so everybody can see everything. Um, and it's a rather large museum. I know the Cincinnati Museum is pretty small, but I think it's just a great place to have both parties have a good a good day and a good experience. Because, you know, I know I'm in the old guy. I love research. I love looking at airplanes. I like looking at tanks. But I love things in a museum, especially a museum I might not have been exposed to if it wasn't for the model show. 
let me touch on one other aspect, which is coming out of COVID. So, you know, you all held this contest. You were coming out of COVID. The the guys in Denver were doing the same thing. Was there anything particular coming out of COVID that either affected the contest or caused you to do stuff differently or something that you saw that you didn't expect? I think there's a couple different things, and some of this is regional. Here in in Washington, we had some pretty heavy mass restrictions um, vaccination restrictions. So I think that was, and I don't want to say it's a negative because I, I do like the idea of they were making sure we were safe, but I think that a little bit affects your contest. But what I noticed the most is, is during lockdown, people were building and there were new modelers and, and new people coming to contests and other modelers who really were working on their, on their process that now, you know, they went from being maybe I'll get a third to now they're just blowing us away with their quality. So I think in many ways, you know, I remember at the beginning of COVID, the memes where as modelers, we trained for this. And I think it did help in getting more people into the hobby, getting more people building more. But I think as far as the show, the positive is you're seeing a lot more models on the table and a lot of new models. I think the negative is there are still, you know, in certain places, and I think all of the restrictions here in Washington, and I believe even Canada have opened up, but there were some restrictions that made it a little bit harder. And I think everybody was trying to, you know, socially distance is the big word, have the tables a little more far apart, have a little bit more space. And I think Fest did a good job of that. I think that we did a good job of that here at the Museum of Flight. And it will be interesting to see how that footprint morphs as, as you know, in quotes, life gets back to normal. Well, we mentioned uh, Heritage Con. We recently talked to IPMS Hamilton ahead of their uh, Heritage Con show. We talked to Alan Mural, Duncan Young, Ian Fraser, and Steve Obermeyer from that club about the upcoming heritage con, you know, they've had a year off or almost two years off and they've got a show coming up after this episode drops. It will be the Sunday following. So the 27th of uh, March. So let's hear what they had to say. Well, Dave and Jim tonight, we've got uh, some special guests uh, from across our Northern border from uh, Ottawa, Canada area. And it's the gentleman from uh, IPMS Hamilton, the host of uh, Heritage Con. Gentlemen, how are you guys tonight? We're good, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, we, didn't say, we didn't say anything about it uh, in the pre-record, but uh, I was sick as a dog Thursday night. It's about as sick as I've ever been. Oh, no. uh, I, I think I'm over it now, so back to the bench here, hopefully tonight. <laughs> I will correct you firstly with uh, the fact we're actually not near Ottawa. We're, more near, we're nearer Toronto. Yes, I've got, I was going to say you've got to forgive Mike's or, or Mike's <laughs> Canadian geography is that's not right. what is not what we might have hoped it was. But no, I guess that's not. Yeah. That's fine. We have got some good okay. friends in Ottawa. <laughs> well, what was- Jim will know this show, but there there used to be a show or a, a comedian who had a show in Canada called Talking to Americans, and in in Canadian geography used to be one of the uh, the go to uh, jokes on that show. So. Well, guys, when this episode drops, uh, you're going to be two short days away from the first Heritage Con in what, 
close to two years now? Two years, right? yeah. Last one was 2019. Uh, tell us about uh, your feeling about that. Yeah, no, we're excited. HerishCon will take place at long last on March 27th from 9 till 4 at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum in uh, um, Hamilton. And uh, it's also home for our club. We're, we're lucky enough to have our club meetings in the Canadian Warplane Museum with uh, the working aeroplanes and the only only other fly in Lancaster, the south side of England. Well, that's got to be impressive. I, we had hoped to come up there, but the, the the show date being on a Sunday it was kind of difficult for us. And it, it actually it ended up falling right on top of my uh, my son's spring break. And we've oh, got a yeah. family family trip planned. So, uh, fully understand. So another year, maybe. Yes, we're, we want to try to get up there sometime. Twenty twenty three or bust. Twenty twenty three or bust. Yeah. <laughs> I was last there in two thousand fourteen, and it was the best uh, show I'd ever been to in Canada. We we, we have around about well, normally before the pandemic, we have around about one thousand four hundred attendees and about eight hundred models on the table as average. Speaking of that, what have you done, if anything, to prepare for a post-COVID surge in the number of models entered? Because uh, a lot of contests held within the last year have seen significant increases in the number of models entered due to the fact that Guys have been in their basements for two years building models and never taking them to contests. Um, do you have the room to expand significantly? I'll, I'll pass it on to Stephen. Stephen? Thank you, Alan. Uh, this year, and this may become a permanent feature or a show, we implemented an online registration of your models, and we closed the registration on March 15th. So it's uh, closed about 12 days before the show. And the online form let people register up to five kits. And we got responses from around 170 modelers, but they didn't all register five kits. So we have 610 roughly registrations. And we have a club table for display. And we have filled half the hangar that's going to have some really neat planes still in it, like our uh, PBY. Uh, We're going to have tables right under the wings of a PBY. All the forms are pre-printed, and everybody's got them. And we're well prepared for the models on the day of the show and we're not accepting any walk-ins oh really the 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 reason we did that was when we first were given the go-ahead by the museum they were very worried about what the actual protocols would be by the time we came to march so they wanted us to limit it to make sure that if there are still well we'll still rules in in place we wouldn't disappoint people gotcha so no we've probably been over cautious but you know, the end of the day, the show's still going to be a success with the numbers we've got involved. And uh, we know people would like to do walk-ins, but we you know, we decided not to do that due to the potential controls maybe that are in place, even though they're not now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you never know by the time we're recording this, by the time that it gets dropped, the protocols could have all changed yeah. again. <laughs> that, that's right. And we just didn't want to disappoint people. Now, if it came in the day and we couldn't let them in, we'd soon have everyone knowing in front that, no, it's only the ones that are registered. So we got at least some sort of control without disappointing people. 
Well, are those numbers comparable to your uh, your last show? Where did you kind of set the set the bar for? Uh, our last show was eight hundred and sixty two on the table. Okay, so you're going to be yeah. down a little from that, but like you said, you can. You're at a good point, uh, I guess, financially with the numbers you've got for a successful yeah, show. We we are, and and also we've got over one hundred and twenty five vendors, which is, is another draw, especially after such a long time of good lockdown. Oh yeah, always. <laughs> oh, vendor J- Jim and I have a, a running uh, debate about this, and uh, to to me, vendors make a show. I mean, uh, I love coming and seeing the models, but. I spend every bit as much time in the vendor room as I do the model room. Yeah, and, and the lucky thing, we also have um, a great raffle table too. We have some very, very good donors from the world the world of all model manufacturing. Now, every, all the big manufacturers send us product for our raffle table, including many in the Ukraine. So, yeah. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of prizes. And uh, we've got 120 raffle prizes, and we give away 10 an hour during the day. Well, that's a lot. We've seen some pretty big raffles at our shows too, but uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's always good to get good support for that. And yeah. uh, in fact, in fact, our, our prize, the top prize, is actually a Hong Kong models Lancaster, one thirty second. <laughs> Jim, you've got to go. Maybe you, maybe you can get a raffle ticket by proxy, Jim. Uh, you send me an e transfer, Jim, and we can we can hook you up. <laughs> if you had said border models Lancaster, maybe, but uh... talk to Stephen. He's he's got one on order. Well, Duncan, are you the raffle coordinator by chance? Well, actually, I, we just the the job listing uh, just got sent out last night, and I have been assigned to the raffle table for the day this year. So, um, two three years ago, I was at one of the entry points, just taking uh, taking entry fees and and handing out flyers and things like that. So. I was going to ask you in regard to vendors, I guess at least as the protocols stand now, U.S. vendors can come across the border and come back. Did you have any U.S. vendors coming? No, so one unfortunate thing, we only have Canadian vendors. The main reason is because of the customs issues. Several U.S. vendors have tried and investigated, but the, the customs becomes too much of a problem for them, which is a great shame, and it's put them off. We had a, a lot of people talk, me, talk to me and talk to customs about it, but no, they, they can't make it work properly with our customs. It's the Canadian side that's the problem. On the other hand, the vendors that we do have always manage to drain my wallet. Oh, I never have problems finding something to spend my money on at a contest. And we have some really good vendors. Yeah, being in proximity, like we're within an hour of, of Toronto. And, you know, speaking of Ottawa at the beginning, one of the key vendors is a hobby shop from Ottawa that drives the five and a half hours down. And I think, what, Alan, they'll have six or seven or eight tables. Is I think they've got 10 tables this year, the actual hobby shop, hobby center. So they're always a good representative here. But we have a good cross-reference. We have stores. We have accessory places. We have people who just do supplies. And, of course, the people selling their stashes from the past. I've got a question for you. Why Sunday? Most That's, that's unusual. Most model contests down in the U.S., with the exception of Cleveland and and some folks actually not too far from the Canadian border, most of them hold it on Saturday. Why Sunday? Ours is driven by the museum itself. The, the problem is is they tend to, they take a lot of planes outside the museum for us to do our event, and they tend to want to have the week up till Friday night with the hangar full. Uh, so really they, they insist upon it being on the Sunday. They would like us to do a two-day show, which is you know, one thing we'll think about for the future, and then start on a Friday night late, but uh, it's still a lot of work. 
but so so currently Sunday works best in the museum and they're they're our benefactor, so we can't argue too much with them. Two day show sounds fine to me, guys. One day we'll <laughs> do that. One day. <laughs> um I'd also like to point out that we're having uh representatives from Operation Vet Build, which uh supports Canadian veterans and first responders in modeling programs to help uh treat PTSD. Yes, the IPMS USA has a similar program. It's amazing. You wouldn't you wouldn't think modeling would have that effect, but apparently it is very helpful in dealing with those issues. We've always been a good support of that. We're actually supporting the one in the UK as well, doing some bits for them for their uh, their build for the um, Duff Bank Conversation crew. So again, the registration for the show has passed? Yes. That's correct. Okay, so everybody uh, hopefully <laughs> hears this and wanted to attend the show has, has heated your... Uh, your information and, and advice and, and gotten that done ahead okay. of time, like like they should have. But it sounds like it's you have a canned success in a way, I think. Yeah, we, we, we're fairly lucky. The, the museum itself helps, helps draw people in. The vendors help people draw, draw people in. We also got um, Fine Scale Modeler attending this year with uh, Aaron Skinner and uh, Tim Kibwell coming to take pictures and doing a, an article on the show. Oh, that's great because he's been absent from a few shows down here of late. Yeah, he's going to start a tour. We're the first one. He's actually going to start a tour of uh, several model shows and quite a few in the States. Ah, well, that's good to know that they're, they're yeah, going to be so. hitting, hitting think, the road again. Yeah, I think we gave him the spark. I convinced him, and uh, now he's started doing set up a tour for himself. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I just want to mention is actually the museum's 50th anniversary, too. So it's a very special event for the museum as well. What uh, What do they have in store for that? Well, for this, they've actually got a massive air show they always do in June and several other events and uh, a couple of like big evening and day events during the year. But uh, this is the first event they're having this year with the COVID changes. So they're looking forward to it. And also we're their biggest uh, fundraiser. But it's a complete charity in the museum. It's all charity. Oh, wow. Are any of you nervous? I mean, given the fact that this is the first show you've held in almost – what, two, two and a half years, whatever it was. Normally, contests, you get in a habit. It almost runs on automate, automatic after a while. You know how you do things. Is the muscle memory still there? Are you all a little bit more nervous than you than you have been in the past just because of the fact that it's been a while? I think the only thing that nervous was at first was about the COVID issues and what would happen. But to be honest about the show, because what happened was the COVID came in two weeks before our last show was about to happen and it was cancelled everything was in place so this was actually fairly easy for us to get in a position to have the show again yeah we carried all the um sponsorship we literally were having to make a decision do we cancel before the province uh, or the public health cancels for us in 2020 so we when all that happened we you know re- reached out to all the vi- all the vendors category sponsors would you like your money back or can we just you know we hold it and until the next time. And I think Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we held, everyone just let it ride and yep. for the last two and a half years. And so the vendor that booked for March of 2020, it's, it's those same tables that they have, unless they gave, gave up their table, which I, I think very few did. So I think only, was, only a couple did and we've had them replaced. So in fact, we've actually got more than we were going to have in 2020. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And I, for one, am nervously excited. <laughs> yes. Well, let me tell you, have any of you been to a contest in the last two years? No. no. Let me t- let me tell you something from having been to Indy and then been to Las Vegas at the U.S. National. There is a real joy to getting back to a contest. So even though you're running the show, and I know that's a lot of work, 
you all are going to really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, say, I can't, I can't wait. Well, I think you've made a very interesting strategy for risk mitigation. That's That was an unusual play, the pre-registration. Yeah, I, so I think you know, we were just concerned that we really didn't want to let people down. And that was my biggest concern, especially if things had changed in the province. So you wanted to be very, very cautious about it. Well, I think I think you're going to have a high percentage of those folks, if not all of them, actually show up. So, oh yeah, I, I think they will. I think they. Yeah. I'm sure again, like anything, a few may not, but I think we'll have a, a, a fairly good turnout, especially for the vendor side of things. There's such pent up thing with everyone looking for to buy kits that aren't the normal retail prices. <laughs> <laughs> we are also in an aircraft hangar, yes, which gives a huge volume of air. So. We can keep social distance. We've got a setup so that people can stay fairly far apart, even if they aren't forced to, but they can comfortably hold a couple thousand people in the hangar without crowding. Well, Mike and I just experienced our first contest inside uh, an aircraft museum. And I have to say, the atmosphere that that adds to the event really is a big bonus. I mean, we sat, Mike and I sat with our table with our backs to a Fock Wolf one or Folk Wolf one ninety, <laughs> um, and and it would just it adds an extra dimension to the contest experience. And that particular museum is an awesome museum too. It's not very big, but they got some nice stuff there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There. Well, well, gentlemen, we wish you the best of luck with the show. I wish we could make it, but we just can't this year. Maybe maybe the next one, we'll be able to get it up there. 2023 or uh, bust. We'll see. <laughs> now, I think who just joined us is Ian Fraser, who can just talk, talk about a Moosery Cup for you guys. Well, just in time to talk about the Moosery Cup a little bit is uh, Ian Fraser's joined us as well. So, Ian, thanks for uh, taking time to, to drop in. My pleasure, guys. I've been listening to you for a while now, and uh, glad to actually be able to talk to you in person. Well, sort of. Sort of. As close as we can get. Well, look, let me start off by thanking you and, and all the other uh, club members there for taking the reins on this Mooseroo Cup thing and, and actually getting uh, Lightspeed Global to provide the material for us. It's just been a, a really stand-up thing. It's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, I've uh, received... Five out of six entries, and the judging is tough. Everybody yes. has got some fantastic entries here. Well, good. I, I've, I know who didn't submit. And uh... yeah, I was going to say, can we take a moment and call out the one individual <laughs> who didn't submit an entry? Well, you can. I really shouldn't, but you can. <laughs> Why did you pick Gundam? I'm just. I'm just. Completely, because last year it was an auto gyro, wasn't it? Correct. Yes. Correct. Uh, this year, uh, Alan and I came up with uh, the Gundam theme because I had been listening to all of the podcasts and everybody seemed to be really, really hyped and interested in finishing and finish it. So we decided, well, let's give them something that we won't worry about modeling skills because a Gundam kit literally falls together. But uh, they can have uh, a lot of fun with, with their finishing, whether it's weathering, painting, paint schemes, genres, whatever. 
So you would be able to challenge yourself on any and all of your finishing skills. That was the sort of idea behind the Gundam. So Ian, can I make a request that next year you do Gundams again, just because I want to see Dave have to build a Gundam? Uh, If we can arrange it, there will be a monetary transfer taking place. If we can arrange next year a 72nd scale aircraft, particularly something from Tamiya. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm, I'm the treasurer IPMS Hamilton treasurer at gmail.com alright okay I know where to send my bribe God, I, I'm sorry my contribution the thing we need clarification on is, is does the builder have to cycle at all yeah, yes so, yeah, typically that's what we've done so, so Dave and I have to build one every other year and the guys at Plastic Posse Podcast get to, get to build one like one every half decade that's a serious question well it's the same with the guys in you know scale model podcast and on the bench they've now gone through the full cycle with dave submitting his entry well what's next how's this going to play out for this for this year's musaru cup now we know it's going to be announced during during uh your show at at the uh, heritage con event but uh, how's it how's it going to be announced and how how can we get this information well what uh we've are going to try to finalize with Stuart uh, on Plastic uh, Model Podcast. They are going to be actually at the show, uh, possibly doing some live streaming. I'm not sure. So it might come out through them uh, okay. directly into the internet world. But we'll be very shortly after the announcement posted on Facebook uh, and sent to you guys directly. Yes. You guys meaning all of the members, all of the uh, competitors, not you guys. <laughs> Everybody. I'm, I'm trying to stay neutral here. I'm trying to stay well, neutral. Un- understood, understood. We want you to stay neutral. We want you to ignore the $50 that we sent via PayPal earlier today. So, you know, <laughs> neutrality is the key, or the appearance of neutrality is the key. Well, we, we find that actually we run into problems with the money trail, but I've actually taken <laughs> to uh, Canadian whiskey. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, you guys, you guys have started a trend with that. I say I now have modeling fluids. So. Have you have you considered bourbon? Have you considered branching into bourbon? Because we can make arrangements if that might assist the process, <laughs> as it were. Well, let's see. I do have a bottle of uh, uh, was it Woodford Reserve? Oh, oh yes, there you good go. choice. Yeah, I got, got a small bottle of that sitting on my shelf. So, well, I'm I'm learning about them. So your podcast is very uh, educational on many fronts. <laughs> the subject matter helped me out because I had a leftover weapons and shields sprue for my kit. Yeah. And I, tra- I traded it to Brian from a Build Sideways podcast for a bottle of Buffalo Trace. <laughs> oh, I, I just finished a bottle of Buffalo Trace. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, and Mike, since you built the kit, I am not going to insist that you share. Well, you weren't planning to, I know. And, and just you know, guys, we're actually working on what we'll do for next year's uh, Musaru. Me and Ian are working on ideas already. Well, that was the next uh, question I had. Was uh, I don't want to, to to know the idea yet, but uh, I assume there's going to be an expansion in the inclusion. There, there is going to be. Yes, we uh, the last year, just after we announced who was included last year, uh, Chris Medins, who I know, gave me a call and says, "Could we be included?" And I said, "We're well, too late, but next year, yes." <laughs> so we should, should include them and. Uh, We'll see. Maybe the uh, the small model guys too. I'm sure they'd all appreciate it. And it's a uh, it's it's was it was an inter- interesting experience for me. I'm not going to dish on it until after the winners are announced. 
winner is announced. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to break that down, but uh, <laughs> well, um, I think it's it's all about the fun of it rather than the kits and everything. It's just the fun and the camaraderie between all the podcasts. That's why we we got involved when uh, we was asked by on the bench and the uh, scout model podcast guys, and uh, we enjoy supporting it. Another benefit it's it's given your club there in Hamilton a global right. platform. That, I mean, that really. may be in the back of my mind. Yes, <laughs> 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 can't deny that. That was a happy accident. <laughs> yes, <sir>. fortuitous. <laughs> fortuitous accident. Well, again, thank you for you guys for that, for for organizing it, for handling all the all the, the judging and the uh, the informational emails. And you know, I, hats off to Lightspeed as well because how many did you send? You sent out six of those kits. Um, yes. Yes. Did did they provide them, or did you have to buy them? No, they, they provide them. They're very good. They're actually a distributor here in Canada. They're, they're fairly right. new. They're actually five years old, and uh, they're okay. great guys, and we support them. We, we work with them regularly and do stuff for them, and uh, they actually got tables at our show too. Well, that's fantastic. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So pass along all the thank yous to them as well. So Yeah, we, we will. Global Lightspeed is also sponsoring a make and take for the kids. Yeah, they are. Heritage the, the kids, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, provide 70 kits for the kids. Kids love that. Uh, a make and take always seems to be very yeah. popular. Well, we're looking forward to the results for Musaru Cup, and we're looking forward to a big photo expose of uh, Heritage Con. Wish you guys best of luck pulling that off, and thanks for joining us tonight. Best of luck. I know it's been a while since you guys had a show, and we're just real curious how it goes down. And yeah, uh, no. Wish wish the best for you. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I thank you for having on, and uh, I look forward to probably seeing you at the nationals. Absolutely, I hope so. We'll have a beer for you. Yeah, thank you. At least one. At least one. Yeah, you're gonna have to have one for me. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make it to the Nats, but I'll be there in spirit. We'll send it via the the other guys, and you you'll go. have to you'll have to get the beer from them. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I'll, I'll yeah, and I'll see that from these guys. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm sure. I'm gonna bring empty bottles back. Don't worry. <laughs> it's the cases of bourbon that we'll be bringing across the border. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wish those guys all the success. I, I, I hate we couldn't be there, but that Sunday date and my spring break trip just really put the kibosh on that. So uh, looking forward to see how that went. Yeah, yeah I'm I, struggling because I think, as I said uh, during the interview, the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum, it's celebrating its 50th anniversary. And I think they're directly responsible for a lot of my aviation and modeling inspiration. And I would love to get out for Heritage Con or even one of their 50th anniversary events later in the year. And I'm just too far away. It sucks. Well, maybe next year we can get there. Yes, absolutely. We're going to make the effort next year. That would be awesome. Pick me up in Buffalo, eh? If we could do that. Yeah. Or, De- or Detroit. Well, I can do Detroit, but do you really want to pick up a guy who's standing in the corner in Detroit? To save an hour of travel, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's not even an hour. Believe it or not, time-wise, the difference is like 25 minutes. Nah, that's Dave time. There's no way that's true. Go on, map. I have, and it's not true. I will tell you, going from Detroit to Hamilton and crossing over in Windsor and then driving that Windsor to Hamilton, London, feels like 400 hours long. Yes, Whereas if you cross in Buffalo, it doesn't feel that bad. It's because you've already driven to Buffalo from Cleveland. (laughs) That may be true, too. (laughs) Gentlemen, we're getting to the end of the episode, and uh, let me start the modeling fluid because, oh my God, do not... Under any circumstances, buy scatterbrain whiskey. 
Um, Lived up to its name there, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is 35% alcohol by, by volume, 70 proof. It it has a very strong scent of peanut butter and particularly sweet peanut butter. And it is cloyingly sweet when you drink it. It it makes uh, Maker's Mark taste dry by comparison. It is the first modeling fluid I've ever had since we've been recording these episodes that I could not finish. That's a hard do not recommend. <laughs> Jim, how's your highball? I got to tell you, I finished off my uh, bottle of Woodford Reserve and two cans of Coke Zero, so I'm doing awesome. Sleep well, my friend. I yeah, will. that's right. <laughs> well, the bullet never ceases to satisfy. Definitely in the lineup for Omaha. Yep. And if you stop by the suite in Omaha, there may be a there may be a shot for you too. That's right. So, uh, Mike, uh, do you have a shout out for this episode? I do. I'd like to shout out Eddie Compton, Tim Cavalier, and John Vickus for uh, supporting Plastic Model Mojo. They've all done so either through the PayPal link or Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to make a recurring contribution to Plastic Model Mojo, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash Plastic Model Mojo or just search Plastic Model Mojo in the Patreon search function. There you can make a recurring contribution from $1 up and Patreon will handle the uh, recurring billing for that. If you'd like to manage your own recurring contribution or make a one-time contribution, you can you can go to www.plasticmodelmojo. There's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner that will take you to our PayPal link. And there you can make a one-time donation or manage your own recurring donation if you'd like. It is awesome that folks think enough of this show to support us through your wallet. And Dave, I think we're going to switch to a new platform to record this show in the coming month or so. And all this is going to be a great help for that. So yes. guys, thank you. Thank you very much. You all have made that things like that possible. So thank you for that. I'd like to give a shout out to both a new hobby shop, at least to me, and to the model life. This past weekend, we were in Sellersburg, Indiana, because my younger daughter had a volleyball tournament, both Saturday and Sunday. While we were up in Sellersburg, which is about 10 miles north of Louisville, we were driving to the tournament and my wife, not me, my wife spotted a hobby shop and was gracious enough to point it out to me and say, hey, didn't you notice there's a hobby shop there? And so I got to stop by, meet the owner. Uh, they were actually coming back from the from a model contest in Ohio and were moving their stock back into the shop. But I got to interact with them, and uh, uh, I want to. I, I was unaware of this hobby shop before this, and I want to give them a shout out. It's Upscale Hobbies in Sellersburg, Indiana. Uh, if you're in the area, stop by. It's a great little hobby shop. Uh, they have numerous paint lines and lots of different models across all uh, all genres. Uh, give them a look. Jim, do you have a shout out? I got a couple. Um, I want to re-mention uh, Steve Baker, who gave me the hurricane, and John Bonatti for putting me up and handing me a bunch of models. But 
I want to tell a little story of when I got to Denver, I was introduced to a model named a modeler named Grant May- Mayberry and never met the guy before. He's out of SoCal. And we were talking about Adam Wilder's books, Adam's Armor. And Grant uh, said he had a second copy and sent me a copy each of those books. And I can't thank him enough. Uh, his website, he's on Instagram and Facebook as May King Miniatures. Um, and he's a, uh, sounds like a sci-fi uh, uh, machine and Krieger guy. And then the other one is uh, the King of the Brush Painters, Tony O'Toole, has just started a uh, Tony O'Toole's model page on Facebook. And I got an invite for that uh, today. And Tony is... I feel like he and I are the only old guys left who are all about research and modeling uh, kind of things that we saw in pictures. And he also brush paints all his models. And I wish I could get that finished with an airbrush. So I'll just shout out both of them tonight. And again, I always shout out you guys. Thanks for having me on. If we are done with the shout outs, Dave, we're at the end of this episode. And as we always say, so many kits, so little time, Dave and Jim. Thanks for joining us again. And we'll have you back real soon. All right, thanks for having me. Good night. Take care. Take it easy, guys.